0: Hey, have you ever heard the common half-truth that the church should not be political? Uh, I'm sure that you have. Uh, And I say it's a common half-truth because it's very hard to speak out on any of the moral issues of our day and not actually spill over into some form of politics or political action. Let's take the sanctity of life. Let's take the sanctity of marriage. Both of these are decisively biblical issues. And yet, if you stand in the pulpit and talk about these issues, you'll be accused by some of being political. Is it a bad thing to be political? Can we avoid being political? Uh, Is there such a thing as the non-political church if we are being a prophetic church? These are some of the issues we want to wrestle with today, especially as it's rooted all in that wonderful passage of scripture, Romans 13, that often is used as a blanket for non-involvement, and for being irrelevant as it relates to cultural issues. And so this podcast today is so critical because it is so relevant. We hope you'll tune in. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Are you guys ready for your weekly dose of Political fun from Pastor Andrew and I because today is fun. We're gonna be we're dealing with probably one of the most frustrating uh, excuses that I, I, I've run into as a pastor, and I'm sure you have as well as a pastor. Over and over again, we're talking about kind of the the lies, the cultural lies that the German church swallowed during Hitler's rise to power, and making comparisons. If you haven't been with us, making comparisons to. The church in America today, and um, we've talked about a number of those lives, but this one to me is like the most prevalent. This is on the lips of most pastors in America, and this t- this chapter is entitled "Be Ye Not Political." And um, wow, and this this is everywhere. It's a part. It's a part of the American church today, and it was probably never more prominent, mm-hmm. prevalent out out there than during the last uh, pandemic episode, right? Yeah, and this is a label that
1: I think people... It's, it's been weaponized, so they kind of... It's like being a racist or whatever. No, that's, that's fault, a, that's, right? that's, that a, is a really good point. It's a label. They just kind of slap on you and want your label. No one else <laughs> even... Uh, you, no one's thinking more deeply about what that means. They just slap it on you and they say, you're the political church. You're the political yeah. pastor. And all of a sudden, you're put into a box. You know? right, that, that's how our culture thinks. Yeah,
0: and you know, it's interesting because I've seen this happen. If I make a statement on social media that addresses a candidate's unbiblical stance or i speak out strongly on a social issue like the sanctity of life the if if that messaging spreads wide enough all right and gets outside of my little my little christian echo chamber mm-hmm. the number one thing i get back is Oh, if you want to talk about politics, you should have your 501c3 tax exempt status mm-hmm. taken away. In other words, as soon as you talk about politics, you're out of your lane, you're being political, and we're going to take away your exemption because that's not you know that's not the role of the church. You're being political. I mean, it happens all the time. It just shows me people's blindness, their stupidity, their ignorance. Um, and as you said, that was such a good phrase. It has absolutely become weaponized. The last thing some pastors want to be accused of is to be political. I mean, you'd rather be a bigot. You'd rather you'd yeah. rather be anything than be labeled political. Uh, I so. think
1: the 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 media has created such an emotion and such a layer layer and layer upon like negative connotation to a political church. That we no longer actually think deeply about what that term means, right we just it, it's again it 's like being a racist or a bigot, like you just throw that uh it's like the, it's like you know you throw,
0: it's like the you
1: know the witch hunts in the past, you just yep. throw that label on somebody right right now they 're a witch now they're also there on the defensive you, yeah it's a, it's a verbal hand like,
0: grenade, you yeah. know, and like you said, most of the time we don 't ever stop to say, well, what does that really mean, or to think deeply about the ramifications of your argument. And so maybe that's a good place for us to jump into this chapter today. Um, Metaxas starts off this chapter by quoting Romans chapter 13 and Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 13 has been used as the proof text that we can't do anything political. And even worse, it's one thing to just be passive, even worse, it's been used as the justification that we need to submit and be complicit to whatever our government is doing or whatever any government is doing, because that's really what Romans 13 says is, God has instituted governments, therefore it's our job to submit to them, period. Mm Um, which again is a, a, a horrible interpretation and an even worse application of that verse. Um, and he he makes the point here: if any of the four errors which he talks about in his book, but that we are discussing, could be most easily pushed to the fore in the Germany of the 1930s, it is the idea that Christians ought not to be political. Um, we happily acknowledge, Metaxas rights. we happily acknowledge the truth that we Christians mustn't be overly political to the point where we put our hopes in politics and not in God himself. And so let's talk about that. You know, he, he's basically saying, OK, we can also fall into the idol of uh, being overly political and looking to Washington, D.C. to solve our problems. Um, And there are Christians who do that, you know, uh, the bigger the government, the better the government, the more taxes we pay, the more redistribution of wealth through taxation. Mm -hmm. These are all good things because it's government job to create a level playing field, uh, uh, put a chicken in everybody's pot. You know, there are those who really think if we can just get the right people elected or get the government machinery working properly, you know, we're going to solve the world's problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, I, I can't help but think that, that maybe that wasn't the uh, the vision behind the United Nations. You know, if we can get all the leaders of all the nations together in one room and get on the same page, we can actually create utopia here on planet Earth, right, right. and solve the problem. So I think this is, a, this is a point that we need to talk about a little bit. And even as it relates to our own local church context, the last message we want to communicate is that um, if we just get good people elected into office, we'll solve all of our our problems uh, because again that makes an idol out of government and government is not what we're looking to to solve our problems. In right. fact, uh, I love Ronald Reagan's famous quote, and I'm probably going to mess it up because I usually do. But the, the, the gist of it was if somebody comes to your house and says, hey, I, I'm from the government, I'm here to solve all your problems, make sure you take off running the other direction mm-hmm. because that's not good news. Uh, government has a very narrow scope. Uh, an important scope, but a very narrow scope. And when we allow it to get bloated uh, outside of that realm, we start really putting our confidence in um, in an institution that becomes idolatrous. You know.
1: Yeah, there there are specific roles of that gov- that's government's lane, and they should be very effective in those lanes, right? Yep. Um, but there are many roles that's much more effective in other realms, like the family or, or, or the yep. the local church or a community center. And when the government you know, veers from its, its supposed lane to other lanes becomes less and less and less effective, eventually becomes the point of tyranny. And, and, and we have talked about this before. We believe in what the Bible says about human nature. So the concentration of power, concentration of wealth, right. concentration of authority, concentration of media or big corporation, whatever, and,
0: and collusion with government is not a good thing. Yeah. It's a, it's, Just to get that yeah. know, we talk about conservatism and all that, but really conservative ideas, if you trace them back, they come from Scripture, like the idea of limited government. Right. That tends to be right. a conservative value. Well, where did that come from? Well, it comes from the Bible. It comes from an understanding that a concentration of power, as you mentioned, usually leads to tyranny. And so we want limited government. We want local government. We want accountable government. uh, And we want the rule of law. We want a constitutional government to keep people uh, in their proper lanes. And we want checks and balances. So all of these ideas, though, are only necessary because we believe that human nature is fundamentally fallen. Right. If human nature is perfect, we wouldn't need separation of powers. But these yeah. are biblical ideas. Then we even,
1: if human nature is perfect, we wouldn't even need the government. Well, you there you go. So, so I, I think this is nuanced because when we say we want to limit the government, people will say, well, why are you guys trying to legislate about pro-life issues, right? Or, or the border issue. And then so so like you seems like we're, we're, we're being hypocritical. We're talking both sides of our mouth. But the truth is because there is a lane, there is a role for the government to defend life, to defend the innocent, right? right, right. Um, to protect the border of a nation, to establish right. the border of a nation, there are proper roles for government. So it's nuanced, but again, because people don't consider these nuance and these these specific lanes from a biblical worldview and really are sophisticated enough to process those things. Also, we just get attacked. You're this and you're that. And you're right, that, you right. know, and just bumper mess. sticker slogans and so yep, forth. Exactly.
0: You know, you know. Eric Metaxas was mentored by uh, Chuck Colson, who's now with the Lord. And Chuck Colson used to have a, a saying that was so true. He said, "Jesus is not returning on Air Force One." Uh, and what he meant by that is, you know, we need to stop looking for political solutions to really spiritual problems. And this is where the church comes in, because if the church doesn't step up and and voice these things right. and lead right. and point point people back to Christ, then we're going to, you know, so here, here's an example. We just had uh, yesterday was a election day. Usually those on the left spend all kinds of money, will, will use every single tactic possible, whether it's even moral or immoral, uh, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. The goal is to win an election because for the left, if you don't believe in God, uh Politics is your god, and power is is the means to it's you the know, end. Power's the end. Yeah, power is the end higher here. than what, power. Whatever, yeah, whatever you can do to be in power, do it. And so that's why we're. Doing all kinds of crazy election stuff, you know, ballot harvesting and uh, all this stuff. You know, we don't, we 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 won't allow people to simply be required to show an ID when they have to have an ID for a thousand other things, and then we call that being racist or something. I mean, it, it, we go to no no end to try to win an election because for for godless people that is your savior. It's government. Uh, we on on the the conservative right as Christians sometimes we haven't figured out this. This game, in terms of how to win, because for us, uh, going out to vote is like a necessary uh, inconvenience. You know, like we're we're trying to raise our families, we're trying to work, we're serving at our church. You know, Uh, and then we, oh yeah, I got to go vote. That's not the way the left deals with it. They make a total idol out of government because that's that's their savior. Um, So, so we're not saying that, and that's not the way we want to be, and that's not what we we the way we want to approach it, but. Metaxas asked this question, where do we get the idea that it was possible to avoid being political at all? Uh, What's he trying to say there? I mean, he's basically saying nobody can go through life at any moment and and not be at some level political because, you know, political issues and politics is all around us. Right. Uh, So where is that
1: idea that thou shall not be political come from? Where is that? Where is that? Where is
0: where is the origin of that
1: idea right exactly
0: yeah. Be- and and how is it even how is it even sensible mm-hmm. you know he he goes back and he uses Wilberforce's time and he says you know if you if you were not speaking out about slavery then you were not acting as a christian at all because to ignore that issue and to not speak speak out just because it was political um, would have been to completely miss out on the whole heart of Jesus and the gospel. So he's saying, you know, of course you would have had to speak out, and at the point that you did speak out, you would have been being political because that that was a political issue. It was a moral issue, but it, uh, but it was being allowed by. Politics by politicians, and it had to be stopped Mm -hmm. through politicians uh, making that illegal and and setting the slaves free. So, so you know, he's saying, How you know, think about the social issues of our time like, how does a Christian go through life with a myriad of issues all around us that are now political and not speak out about them and thus be political at that point? I mean, you can't avoid it. I think that's that's Metaxas' point. You cannot avoid it. He says standing up for the unborn or any other persecuted group will mean being political in some way. And we just saw that big ballot initiative over in Ohio, which was so troubling, um, where uh, basically now they've enshrined in their state constitution uh, a whole host of evils that are moral evils and biblical issues but they're all being put into the Constitution, which is political, basically enshrining a woman's right to an abortion throughout her entire pregnancy. Uh, it was a complete erosion of parental rights as it relates to stuff like gender confusion and those types of things. Um, and uh, there's all kinds of dark money that was pumped into that thing, all kinds of propaganda machinery that was put set in motion. Because uh, this is a test state and a battleground state, and if they can make this... Happen in in Ohio, they hope to spread that throughout mm-hmm. the entire fifty states. So, um, did the the ballot initiative pass? Uh, the ballot initiative. I'm trying to think whether it was passed or defeated. Which which angle? But but the bad guys mm-hmm. won. All right. Okay. In other words, okay. n- now in Ohio, it has been enshrined in the constitution a woman's right to murder her baby, mm. all throughout her pregnancy. Wow, and all kinds of crazy attacks on parental rights as it relates to uh, gender confusion, transgenderism, those types of things where wow. where parents can be punished for simply trying to be parents and yeah. for trying to raise their children and protect so their So that kids.
1: can't come come under the radar a little bit, huh? That, well,
0: that. It, it, I guess on the national level, I mean, there's all kinds of national groups on both sides mm-hmm. um, pouring money and trying to, to, to fight, uh, you know, because this issue is huge. Yeah. So here's my point again too. I mean, what what the Ohioans do not understand is that by enshrining that evil in into their constitution, um, talk about bringing the judgment of God upon your state, yeah. um, and watching reaping the whirlwind of what's going to happen in that state as a result of promoting evil. But my point is, th- this was a political, a massive political. Yeah. issue, and the church should have been leading the way, and maybe they were. I, I'm not judging the, the church in Ohio, but these are issues that if the church doesn't show up, evil gets enshrined in our Constitution. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so how can you say, well, we're not supposed to be political when all kinds of evil, biblical, things that God calls evil and that we should be speaking out about are, are being put into motion. Uh, and for the church to somehow use Romans 13 as an excuse to sit back and do nothing... While this happens, think about the children that are going to be destroyed, murdered. Think about uh, the children that are going to be mutilated, their bodies mutilated, uh, and live in pain the rest of their life because of the false lies about gender transition and all of that nonsense. So... um he, he says uh, that ch- the church shouldn't be political. You, you need to be able to listen to that statement and hear the demonic uh, undertones behind it, because it literally is the voice of the devil. And his goal is to silence and neutralize the church. But he gives us a little history lesson here, which I think is good. He was like, how did the church in Germany get to be where they were just so complicit with the overt evil that, that Hitler was perpetrating. And he takes us back to Luther's time and uh, to something called the Peasant Revolt, uh, which was in the 1520s. And, um, and just to backtrack, he says, you know, Martin Luther uh, got a lot of things right, but as any human being, he got some things wrong. And his views on the church and state would certainly fall into the latter category. Uh, Bonhoeffer once said that if the German church were to make an idol, it would be in the image of Martin Luther. So the German church obviously um, held Martin Luther in the highest place of honor and esteem and, of course, therefore embraced his teachings. And, uh, and so this is interesting because in the Peasant Revolt, um, uh, Luther came out with a writing called against the murderous thieving hordes of peasants. And in this, uh, in this ar- article that he wrote or treatise, Luther condemned the violence as the devil's work and called for the aristocrats to put down the rebels like mad dogs. Now, interesting enough, as I was doing a little bit of research on this Zwingli, who was another um, reformer landed on the other side and, uh, and supported the peasants. Again, there was bloodshed taking place. A lot of the, the uprising was was being done in the name of Luther. And I think Luther was trying to say, wait a minute, don't pin this on me. Right. I think it was a reaction. But his reaction, as I was studying this, his reaction is now highly criticized because he, he almost did a, a political play. He He kind of flip-flopped. And he actually advocated that the aristocrats... Squash the rebellion by any means possible, including uh you know, murdering the peasants. So uh and, and his justification was Romans 13. Mm. So peasants, be good peasants, submit submit to your authorities. You know, who are you to to revolt kind of a thing? Yeah. And so you you look at uh Luther's teaching here, uh him simply not denouncing uh, or denouncing the violence and being horrified from the violence and coming out strongly, in fact, Metaxas says too strong. He says Luther was mostly right, but his thinking in effect became part of the institutional thinking of the German Lutheran Church, so that when the brutal and decidedly anti-Christian Nazis claimed to be the, quote, governing authorities in Germany, the German Church largely fell in line, as though standing against the wicked tyranny of Hitler was obviously an unavoidable unavoidably wrong. So there has to be a theological justification, right, for why we do what we do. And for Christians, especially, we're looking for, well, what what does the Bible say? And for much of the German church, again, German Lutheran church, they looked back to Luther and to what he had to say and and especially took their notes from the peasants' revolt and therefore uh, revolting against leaders, even bad leaders like Hitler, is not the thing to do. And and there are so many people I've I've heard pastors say, well look at Paul when he wrote when he wrote to the ch- church in, in Rome and commanded them just to obey their governing authorities, uh, they were under you know evil you know emperors uh, that were doing horrific things and you know and they were told not to be political and just to submit and, and I'm thinking what you know that, that again it's a misapplication. But it's used as a justification, even to the point where I can see these same pastors in America today uh, giving the same argument uh, over, you know, whoever was the president or whatever the party was in rule. Just, hey, look, we need to honor and submit and go along and and, uh, and just keep having Bible studies at our church. Everything's going to turn out all right. Um, in America today, he notes we are called white supremacists or Christian nationalists anytime we speak out. And that's, yeah. that, that's that weaponization you were talking about, right. you know. No pastor, no respectable pastor wants to be called a white supremacist. And we will bend over backwards to run away from being associated with any kind of racism, right? Or a Christian nationalist. Um, We're one of those Bible-thumping, you know, uh, uh, Trump-loving... Maga supporting, you know, right. pe- people or whatever. Uh, they jump to all kinds of conclusions about uh, what we stand for, and, but they, and, but they throw that like a verbal grenade at us, as if loving your nation and loving God, you know, are wrong. Um, but that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, he says there are currently a host of grave matters that require our attention, uh, and for which we will certainly be attacked by secular and political foes as being political and for which many within the church will attack us for not being focused on the gospel when we raise them. And he. And let's talk about this for a little bit. Um, one of those things is abortion, mm-hmm. sanctity of life. Uh, should the church be speaking out on abortion? Uh, I think that would be a yes. Yeah, that, <laughs> there's a clear biblical teaching on that issue. But right. I have literally had pastors mentioned that they don't mention abortion or abortion policy or anything from the public or from the pulpit because it is uh political. And I'm thinking, how in the world can you not talk about abortion ever? Or I remember uh a few years back a very famous um, college pastor in the Georgia area, uh he'd be a household name to many. He was actually college coach,
1: football coach, right?
0: Uh, no, that he was actually a, a pastor, oh, okay. at, but he had a big college ministry. Oh, gotcha, okay. National yeah. college ministry. Yeah. And somebody went back uh, over a decade ago and found that he actually said something about homosexuality and quoted the Bible that suggested that it was wrong. And he was canceled from one of his college speaking engagements because they, they went back 15 years and found him actually talk about that issue. My question was, you had to go back 15 years. <laughs> right. to, I mean, when this is the issue, you right. had to go back 15 years to right. find right. he actually quoted the Bible on that. Right. And, but, but my point is, that's exactly what our enemies are looking to do. They will absolutely cancel you, shut you down uh, if you speak out on these issues and get out of your lane. Uh, how about the sanctity of marriage? Um, how about simply speaking about sexual ethics? It's sex should be reserved for the marriage covenant. I mean, you'll be laughed out of town if you say that uh, on, a, on a public venue, because everybody knows sex is recreational. Sex has nothing to do with procreation. You can be whatever gender you want to be. You can have sex with whomever you want to be. The only magic word now uh, in terms of sexual ethics is a uh, Consent. So as long as people agree with whatever you want to do to them, then evidently that behavior is okay. We talked about the whole uh, uh, gender uh, confusion and how God's clearly spoken about creating male and female, only two genders. But the question Metaxas asks is, hey, how many of you have pastors that have actually spoken or taught on these issues? And um, and I'm glad to say I'm one who has, Mm -hmm. but every time you, you, preach or teach on these things, you do take the risk of not only, you know you're going to offend the larger culture, but what you also have to watch is that you're going to step on some toes with Christian folks who are whose lives are being impacted, either their children or somebody in their family has been impacted by these issues. And yeah. now it's become not theological, it's become personal. Right. And so these are really like landmines that you have to dance around to know how to, to address it properly in the right spirit and yet stay biblical and uh, and have the courage to speak it out. Uh, so again, Metaxas is saying, these are gospel issues, uh, and we should be speaking out on them. And as soon as we do, we have crossed over also into what has become the political realm. He says, speaking the truth of God for his purposes is simply our duty. It's not extra credit Christianity. It's basic Christianity. Actually, it's simply Christianity. <laughs> I like that. You know, this is not like the extra credit stuff. This is right. this is the gospel. It's it's speaking the whole counsel of God. And as pastors, you and I know, we don't get the luxury of kind of picking and choosing uh, which things we want to stand for. And uh, and just to add, he, he he also mentioned something that again has become very fashionable today. There are certain causes that are also political, like uh, sex trafficking. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. To stand against sex trafficking is cool, and it's 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 in fashion. And again, I'm not minimizing the evils of sex trafficking. We must be speaking out against sex trafficking. But my point is, some pastors will will you know throw <laughs> throw something that direction in terms of speaking out against it, knowing that there's no risk at all and zero kickback. It right. is a, it is a safe issue. But even while they would say, well, I'm not, don't be political, just preach the gospel, they would have no problem being political and evidently not preaching the gospel on that issue because there's nothing to be lost by it. Um, And I think, again, it was, um, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Charles Finney who made the statement. He said, if we're not speaking out against the issues where the battle is raging the fiercest, then we're not being faithful to the gospel. In other words, okay, you can talk about that issue, but that's not uh, probably the biggest issue in everybody's face that, that deserves our attention right now. There, there's, there's a lot of other issues that you're conveniently skipped over to embrace something that's going to have very little kickback. Mm-hmm. So that is equally cowardly on our part or all these social justice things you know i was talking to a, a man who was sharing about a situation um where, where they were trying to to raise culturally sensitive vegetable gardens Now, again i i have no under, I, understanding what that is but trying to if, if that's your preaching of the gospel and that's the battle line that you're drawing you know that's pretty pathetic
1: yeah, I think about uh, Wilberforce when he, you know, you think about the time when he you know, he fought the slave trade for decades, right? And, I mean, it was a fierce battle. It wasn't like a, just a campaign couple of years. I mean, he gave his life to it. And he got sick. I mean, he was getting all kind of attack. And you, you think back on his time, it's like, now you think back on slave trade, you're like, what's the big deal? Everyone knows the slave trade is bad. But, but in his context, where he's at, my understanding: the slave trade was such a uh, money driver. It's su- it's if it impacts every part of society. Let's well, remind people yeah. too:
0: it was a global phenomenon. So it wasn't like this was unique to Britain. Right? Uh, slavery was was global. Uh, every nation was practicing slavery.
1: Like some of the things we talk about today, you know, whether it's abortion or whatever, is a global phenomenon, and there's big money tied in. It affects your neighbor. So so when Wobefore is talking about slave trade. Uh, he's talking about potentially his cousin's job, oh, yeah. livelihood, because his cousin might not be in the slave trade, but he's in some type of job that's associated with the slave trade, yep. that's associated with slavery. I mean, he's touching on these issues that's integrated into society on an infrastructural basis, which – I will say the same thing about these things. Absolutely. So, so it, it, I'm, I, what I'm trying to say, but now today, after the battles and after the victory, you look back, you're like, well, thank God that right now, as far as in our lives, there's no infrastructure of our society that's related to the slave trade. So it's easy for us to talk about that now, right? Right.
0: But the question mm-hmm. is, if you're going to follow, if you're going to be consistent, there were, there were pastors who I'm sure in Wilberforce's day said, hey, Let's not be political. Sure. Let's just preach the gospel.
1: Because they're touching on people's, like you said, you know, they might be talking about people's family, talking about their livelihood. Yeah.
0: You're looking looking out at your church congregation and sitting out there is somebody who's your biggest tither, whose business is completely wrapped in the slave trade. Yeah. And so now your choice is hmm. Do I really want to kick that hornet's yeah. nest? Do, do I do I really want to please Jesus and preach the word, or do I want to just conveniently look over that part? Remember our illustration of just having everybody sing louder. Do we just want the church to sing louder while the the Jews and the boxcars are going by screaming, "Help me, help me!" Right? Um, because God forbid we we upset the our, our own economic stream. Right. And you know Hitler recognized that for many of the pastors. He said, "You guys are just miserable little dogs. All you care about is your paltry little government. Subsidized salaries. Basically, they were they were willing to shut up and compromise the gospel, baptize it under Romans thirteen, stay non political, just preach the gospel. But really, what was the driving factor was economics. They didn't want their economic apple cart upset.
1: And today we are facing the same thing. I'm just making a parallel between today and Wilberforce time. What he faced and what we're facing is not so different.
0: Not no, at all. I mean, yeah. it's the same. And, and again, I found this to be true because I've crisscrossed the state. The pastors most likely to preach on these issues from the pulpit mm-hmm. are not mega church pastors, they're very small, uh, small to mid sized churches because they have less to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, the pastors at mega churches. Uh, they have a, a big machine that's running. It, there's lots of money required. There's lots of staff. They're living a comfortable life. They're making a nice income. And if they speak out strongly on some of these biblical issues, they will split that church right down the middle. Uh, so rather than split it down the middle where it needs to be split, right? If you're dropping the plumb line, split it down the middle and, and stand for truth, Uh, it's just easier to avoid it, but to avoid it, you have to come up with a justification. And again, what we're saying is the common most common justification for doing nothing uh, about the issues of our day is to quote Romans 13 and then roll over and go to bed, you know, with a clean conscience. Um, but, but it, it leads to death and destruction and tyranny, uh, for the next generation. Um, Metaxas says, when Bonhoeffer said that God means the church to be the conscience of the state, he made it clear that the church must exist apart from the state and must be free to criticize the state if necessary. When the church shrinks from this duty to God and to its fellow citizens, it is not behaving as God's church. And when that happens, the state and everyone in it will suffer. So this is powerful. He's saying, you know, there are three separate institutions created by God, the family, the church, and the state, and the role of the church is to be a prophetic voice to, to those in power. Our job is to speak into politics. Our job is to speak to those who are God's ministers in that arena and to drop the plumb line of God's full counsel and to do it, to do so unashamedly. Um, and to do so boldly. And that if we fail to do our part, then the state's just going to run roughshod over, uh, over people's lives and over all of our liberties, and we've seen that happen. So, who are, who have been the most powerful voices for reformation all throughout church history, or all throughout history? It's the it has been church leaders. That's why we're talking about Luther. He was a powerful voice for reformation. Calvin, Zwingli. I mean, I, you can go right down the list. These were the folks who understood their role. John the Baptist, to go all the way back to the Bible, speaking truth to power. Um, Because again, as we've highlighted in this podcast, just because you're in government doesn't mean you're not under God. You're still submitted to God. Government exists because of God and government rulers are accountable to God. And it's the job of the church to remind them of what some consider to be that unpleasant fact. You know, he quotes here a famous passage, a great passage from Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, um, that we are to be a voice for the voiceless. Um, and that when people are suffering injustice and they have no voice, and we know it, we know that it's happening, for us to remain silent uh, brings condemnation and guilt upon ourselves. We must be a voice to the voiceless, and I can't, that's why the issue of abortion is huge, because I can't think of people who have less of a voice than an unborn child in its in, uh, mother's womb. So, um, again, a powerful reminder of our prophetic role. Um, he said, where is the caveat that we are not to do these things if someone deems them political? And I love this quote, uh, from Bonhoeffer. It is high time. He said, we broke with our theologically based restraint towards the state's actions, which he has after all is only fear. Speak out for those who cannot speak. Who in the church today realizes that this is the very least of what the Bible requires of us. Some people look at, you know, political engagement as icing on the cake. It's like, well, I'm not really called to that. And Metaxas quoting Bonhoeffer here says, no, that's the very minimum of the gospel to speak out for those who are being victims of injustice. Um, And if we can't do that, we're failing in our role as the church. And he, he hits the nail on the head here. He says, um, Really, our theology is is a, a a cover for our fear. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a strong statement. But maybe we need to pause there. At the end of the day, is the reason really why we're not speaking out that we want to preach the pure gospel? Is it really that we don't want to be political, uh, or is it really that we're afraid that if we do, there there might be consequences? Uh, starting with our own families and our own congregation, our own church family, and then moving out in ever widening circles, right? Uh, so, this is Bonhoeffer challenging the German church. And again, I think, I think we deal with some of the same issues today. And, and let's talk about this. He said, maybe those outside the church could be the ones who wake up those within the church. Um, let's talk about this a little bit. You know, whenever we've done an event that centers around, you know, f- for instance, freedom freedom to, to not be forced to take a certain medical procedure, freedom to choose whether or not you want to wear a mask, You know, freedom to choose whether or not you want to practice social distancing. I mean, we have all kinds of areas where our freedoms were tested. Um, whenever we spoke out on those things, it wasn't just Christian people that said, hey, thank you, Pastor Andrew, for speaking out. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were unchristian or non-Christian people who love freedom, they don't understand how to connect the dots yet, or you know, I I had a woman come up to me at a at our harvest festival, and she said, "Do you remember me?" You know, uh, and I, I didn't at the time, but she said, "I f- I first met you when you were over at the at the rally over in Saint John uh, for students, and and you, know, you were the only pastor that was there, and that so." stuck out to me or impressed me that, well, why aren't more pastors here that I wanted to come to the church and see who you were? And, and again, she wasn't a believer, but she was concerned about her kids. Mm-hmm. And so how many how many mama bears, because of what we're seeing happen with school boards and, and keeping parents hidden and taking away parental rights and, and doing all kinds of perverted things to, uh, to our children without... Per- parents' knowledge or blessing, all these mama bears are rising up now and saying, over our dead body, are you going to do this to my kid? And, and again, these are not necessarily Christian people. They're just, they're just Americans who are fed up. Mm-hmm. And Bonhoeffer said, if I can't work with the church— Maybe I can just work with some unsaved people who realize that like putting Jewish people in, in uh, you know train cars and, right. and shipping them off to extermination camps to be slaughtered is probably not a good thing. Yeah. Um, Starting
1: World War II
0: yeah. is probably
1: not a good thing for Germany.
0: Yeah, or for the rest of the world. Yeah. So, I think this is a good point. If we are if we are so theologically put in a coma, by a misinterpretation of scripture that gives us a get out of jail free card and somehow that we don't have to we can wash our hands and stay out of the messy battles of our day. Uh you know, we're deceiving ourselves. And, and and I like what he said. You know what? If I can't work with the church, then I'm gonna find people that I can work with that share the same values. Maybe are coming at it from a different starting point, yeah. but share the same values. And it was interesting as we were talking about he was even looking to, he tried to have a meeting with Gandhi mm-hmm. because he was very interested in Gandhi's nonviolent, beatitude, uh, you know, Sermon on the Mount wow. type approach yeah. to transformation and dealing with injustice. Uh, that, that meeting evidently never happened. And not that, you know, Bonhoeffer and Gandhi would share the same theology, they don't. But, but Gandhi at least had the courage to stand up and to lead a movement. Against a very powerful government. Yeah. And so offers, you know, when, when it comes time to stand up for the cultural battles of our day and you're actually looking for courage, sometimes it's hard to find people. Yeah. And sometimes you'll find people that are more courageous who don't know Christ than people who do know Christ, which is a tragedy. Well, I think we're sometimes maybe church folks are too
1: sophisticated in our theology <laughs> to. Um, Somehow that sophistication causes us to disunite, causes us to divide, causes. It's kind of what Chuck Colson said: um, we're too fussy about theology to simply um, sign the Manhattan Declaration, right? And
0: yeah, wait, 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 can you just agree with me that the sanctity of life is a biblical value yeah. and that abortion is evil? Yeah, but who else signed that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what do you mean by evil? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we get into all, and, right. and usually when people ask. Like dumb questions like that, it's because they're looking for some theological, uh, you know, loophole. Or? loophole yeah. To, to, oh, that's why I can't associate with you because yeah. we don't exactly agree with the meaning of sanctity or something ridiculous like that. Uh, we miss the elephant in the room because we're straining for these gnats. No, I think you're right. Um, he said, I. Uh, some were risking their lives while others were simply attending conferences in the church. In other words, so here are guys like him who have stuck their neck out and they 're resisting against the Nazi extremism and, and and they could lose their lives and he 's speaking at conferences trying to rally pastors who are just there for to attend the conference they have They have no plans on rolling up their sleeves and and getting in the game and He said it was so frustrating. You know, because because pastors sit around and they'll listen and, like you said, they'll talk theologically. You know, while the boxcars of Jews just keep mm-hmm. going off to the extermination camp. Um, and and he said it just even even today, how many how many pastors are going to go sit at a prophes- end time prophecy conference? And talk about whether or not so-and-so is the antichrist or the mark of the beast or h- how fast we're going to go over the cliff, instead of just rolling up their sleeves and being a part of the Great Commission and planting trees and building schools for the next generation, you know, we're all ready to go to prophecy conferences and check out. I mean, it gets to be very, very frustrating um, when we when we hide our paralysis behind, you know, our theology. Um he says uh, he was surrounded with patriots who were willing to stand even for Germany but who did not know the lord and i 'm saying this today we have been we 've received a a truckload of great patriots at Living Stones. What I have found is that some of the people that come to our patriotic meetings maybe don't know Jesus yet, and so one of the first things we do is say, look, our, our warfare is different uh, from the warfare of others who don't know Christ. Um, let it, let's let introduce you to Christ, and then let's be Christians who also happen to be patriots. Yeah. But hey, we'll take patriots anywhere they're found. We'll take people who will stand up for truth and righteousness and who love America and who may not know Christ yet, uh, and we'll make sure that we share the gospel with them, but we can partner with those people Absolutely. on a lot of issues. yeah. Uh, And we will. We'll continue to do that. Um, He was talking about the powerful forces today. We got government, media, big tech, big pharma, uh, who are all united to literally just squash the voices of of any dissent. Uh, And I just met with a a medical doctor uh, who, again, incredibly brilliant, knows his stuff, and you know, we were talking about the fact that if any of those doctors who tried to speak out and say, wait a minute, let's talk about this vaccine. There's some problems with this vaccine. Let's talk about this study. There's problems with this study. Let's talk about the FDA and and, uh, and what didn't go through the proper channels. Let's talk about big pharma. Uh, let's follow the money. Anybody that challenged the status quo at the time, the power brokers, w- was an object of ridicule. Uh, attack, and their goal was to take away your license and basically destroy you yeah. uh so th- so we need to understand like the other side <laughs> plays dirty and and uh, and they 're out to kill you uh, if not physically, they want to kill your livelihood and kill your future uh so it takes it takes courage um he brings out a really good point here he says truth is truth there's no such thing as Christian truth; all truth is god 's truth. This is so good. You don't put an adjective in front of the word truth and say, well, that's your guys' truth because right. you're Christian." That, that, Oh, that's what you believe. No, the gospel is true for everyone, whether you believe it or not. We should be focused on pers- the pursuit of truth. Truth applies to every single person who's ever lived, no matter what culture, whatever background. That's the nature of objective truth. All truth is God's truth. Uh, and the failure of the church, Francis Schaeffer said, was to simply stand up for truth, uh, and as truth, truth with a capital T. Um, and he said, even the unsaved, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, even the unsaved recognize truth when they see it. Um, so it doesn't take a rocket scientist for someone to realize that murdering a baby, the right to murder a baby up through nine months of pregnancy is evil and wrong. Um, you don't have to be a Christian to see that and understand that. Um, but you do need to you need to be a Christian to boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. And uh, and that's really what Metaxas is calling us to in our day. Who, who will speak for those who have no voice? Uh, who will demonstrate bravery and courage to stand against these power brokers, government, media, big tech, big pharma? I mean, you look at the money and the influence and the power that has been brought together uh, with corporate America too in the game. And you realize, wow, well, there's a, a, a formidable foe and it takes real courage to stick your neck out. But again, I, I think uh, maybe we may close with this. I think of the biblical example uh, when uh, uh, Elijah Tells his servant, Gahazi, Gahazi's freaking out. Look at the armies that have come against us. And he says, no, no, you're not seeing the true armies. Look at, Lord, open his eyes and let him see who's on our side. And he saw all the hosts of heaven surrounding them. You know, it takes people with spiritual eyesight to realize that we don't, with God, we have a majority and all it takes is one courageous voice, one courageous pastor One courageous, you know, uh, marketplace leader, uh, one courageous doctor to uh, ignite a revolution with the Lord, you know, that can change culture. So, God, give us courage and give us bravery and give us strength to stand in these times and to declare what is true no matter what arena, Lord, we're stepping into in Jesus' name. All right. Well, hey, there's more fun next week, Um, but these are four really good myths that we hope we've exposed and um, encourage you, don't fall. Don't fall for the Romans 13 trick that enables you to hide in your house or hide in your church and keep going to Bible studies while you do nothing, while the culture around you putrefies. Um, Don't fall for that get your voice, stand up, be a prophetic voice to those in power. And, uh, and in the end, we'll see, uh, we'll see God show up and defend truth. He always does. All right. We love you all. Have a great week and, uh, help spread this podcast far and wide. we know there's a lot of people that need to hear it. We'll see you next Thursday.